The funny thing about those obnoxious, judgmental assholes who stand in the way of our happiness is that they're us. This is my conversation with Debbie McKeever. What if the truth came in a gel cap and we could just pop it in our mouths and forget about it? Well, it doesn't, and we can't. But we can laugh in the face of reality while plotting our survival. Welcome to the Truth Tastes Funny Podcast. I am your host, Hirsch Redmond. And if my guests can handle the truth, so can you. Open wide, folks. Here it comes. Here's what what I will say is that um, I've been, lately I've had to spend a lot of energy dealing with negative thought patterns, uh, trying to shake negativity because we, it seems like the moment we, we, we adjust to a negative input, there's another input that's, that's negative. And so things like pile on top of it. Um, As a little kid, I had nightmares, recurring nightmares about a clown, the same clown tickling me. (laughs) And oddly enough, as an adult, I don't have a fear of clowns. But when I see a clown, I do think for a moment, is he going to tickle me? Because that uh, it's still like a little bit of a, of a subliminal fear. Well, let me tell my audience, this is why, this is why on today's show, we have uh, Debbie as a guest. Uh, She is an award-winning uh, author and writer and speaker and uh, mindset expert. Um, you help people eliminate limiting beliefs. Right. And when I first heard that, I didn't put limiting beliefs together with negative thought patterns, but it makes so much sense. Yes. Uh, you know, tell us how you came to even specialize in this area. Well, after um, adjusting my own um, mindset, because I was a person who was a chronic warrior and chronic overthinker. And so after being able to turn my own mindset around, I decided to, um, to specialize in helping other people to shift their mindsets. Because initially I sought out to help everyone. Like in my um, holistic wellness practice, I just felt like I can help whoever has whatever problem, whether it be um, weight loss, low self-esteem, nutrition, whatever. Like I, I I had not niched it down. I just figured whatever issue you have that has to do with being holistically well, I can help you. (laughs) <laughs> right. I still venture, you know, outside of the mindset, but um, I did niche down to specialize in um, helping people with limiting beliefs. And overthinking is really a limiting belief because what you're doing is that you're creating um, all these uh, negative thought patterns in your mind. You're 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 fantasizing and you're scripting, but you're doing it in a negative way is you're creating false beliefs and you're becoming stressed out over things that you have no evidence for. Uh-huh, so... And some people even become depressed. Sure. 
Sure. And the mind, the power of the mind has so much to, to do with it. You know, yes. like I kid around about this, this, these clown dreams. But the but the fact is, this was something of my making. Mm -hmm. And what I realized in my dreams, which were always so vivid and so and so uh, detailed, is that I had some control over it. Like yes. I could navigate to another place. I had a, 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 a dreamscape in which my house was right behind my grandmother's house, which wasn't the case. She lived about 25 minutes away. But I, in my dream, if I was in a dream, I could walk through the side pathway of my neighbor's house and get to my grandmother's house. So if I got into trouble, I had an exit. I had a way to, to go, which is a very strange thing still to me because it meant that I was thinking, I was aware that I was dreaming, but right. I was scared, <laughs> you know? So now tell me a little bit about your childhood so we can kind of figure out where, where, we, uh, where we both got these negative thought patterns from. You know, as a child, uh, for some, at, at some point, um, and I can remember pretty vividly um, back until like the age of, of two years old, as a child, I was afraid of the dark and the boogeyman. Okay. And, you know, adults had like this nasty habit of kind of, you know, I think it was kind of more like a tease. The whole boogeyman thing was like a tease for, for kids, especially if you were being mischievous, kind of telling, yeah. you, you know, if you didn't straighten up that the boogeyman was going to get you. And, and I think with adults, we don't really realize that even if we're doing it in a loving and a fun way and in a joking way, you could be setting your, your kids up for, for potential trauma and you're instilling fear in them unnecessarily. Yeah. So fear, of course, creates negative thought patterns, which is probably where, you know, your dreams were coming from about the clown. Like, I don't know if, if you know, you had heard of the boogeyman or, or, or what it was, but I know that I was afraid of the dark probably until I was about eight or nine years old. Yeah. I also did sleep with a, a with my light on, and not just a nightlight. I slept for for many years with the the full overhead light on, <laughs> and my my parents would come in and turn it off eventually, and I would be asleep, and it would be fine. But there was definitely a fear of the dark. The clown thing, I think, maybe has something to do with humor and comedy because I loved comedy. I loved. You know, I watched Bozo the Clown. I, I, I loved, I loved uh, the circus. I used to go to the, but I wasn't afraid of any of those things like in Waking Life. Right. It was only when left alone in my room and I, I was the only boy, so I, I had my own room. My sisters shared a room, but I was alone, you know, right. and I had that. And, you know, the way it was laid out, from my room to my parents' room was one side of that of that of the house. I would have to cross the dining room the area. Into, I'd have to like go venture forth yeah. into the darkness to get to them. Um, so I just remember That's, all of that. I, I actually have recurring dreams, and I don't to this day I don't know where it came from. I have recurring dreams about snakes. Oh. Like, no matter what I would dream about even if it was a fun dream, somewhere 
either in the middle or at the end of the dream, like a snake would show up from out of nowhere. Oh, my- wow. And so um, my maternal grandmother, who was neighbors with my um, parents, my brother and I actually lived with um, my maternal grandmother. And I asked her, you know, about those dreams. And because I was brought up, I'm, I'm actually not in organized religion um, now. I consider myself to be a very uh, spiritual person, um, but I don't practice, um, you know, any type of denomination. But I was brought up um, in Christianity. Christianity. And I think a lot of it comes from that as well. I'm not knocking um, any, you know, type of faith, you know, I'm very open-minded when it comes to that. But of course, you know, there's the belief in, you know, like a literal devil. Um, Yeah. And so um, a lot of it was, you know, my grandmother explained it to me. Um, She felt, she was like, you know, you have a special anointing on your life and that the snake is symbolic of the enemy, you know, being after your life. And so, you know, I think I, I developed this fear of the devil being after me. Uh huh. I don't think that she meant it that way, but that was kind of the way that I interpreted it. Like this, this horned devil that the church would always talk about. I just felt like this little horned person was always after my life you know, trying to do things to me and trying to, you know, kill me or, or, or whatever, <laughs> and, uh-huh. you know, and, and I think, you know, um, that was part of, um, the negative thought patterns too, like the overthinking, like constantly, you know, fearing that something, you know, or some kind of a force, uh, was after me. Yeah. And to, to, to wreck my life. <laughs> In, in in some way, so um, that's something that that came up for me um, as you were talking about the clown. Yeah, the religious thing. The religious thing is interesting. I was I was raised Jewish. I was raised Orthodox Jewish, so strictly observant. I grew up in Miami, which I thought was a wonderful place to to kind of grow up and very and more relaxed. You know, you have the ocean and you have all the you have the sun and you have all that, but the restrictions that that come with a lot of organized religion are mm-hmm. obviously rooted in fear. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely it's a lot of fear and a lot of control. Absolutely. And, and I didn't think of my parents as controlling, but I thought I felt of, of the restrictions as controlling. Yes. <laughs> and and so I associated the religion with being being limited. Right. Because you so, felt like you had to be good, you know, like yeah. if you weren't good and if you didn't observe a, a specific uh, set of rules, you were going to go to hell and you, you almost had to be perfect. You know, you felt like, you know, in order to go to heaven, you know, to go to be with God instead of going into the lake of fire with this horned creature. The- <laughs> right. Well, different religions use different uh, symbolism, different mm-hmm. ideas. In Judaism, it wasn't so much about heaven and hell. It was about this world and the world to come. Mm-hmm. But the world to come was certainly more appealing if you had lived a virtuous life. 
Mm-hmm. So everything you were doing in this life was, you know, yes, to make this life the best and most useful, but for the world to come mm-hmm. and your share, your share of the world to come. Mm-hmm. And it just, it just, as we talk about limiting beliefs, um, I don't know that I've given it that much thought in that context, but even as we speak, I think a lot of the limited beliefs came from a system that's based on limitation. Yep. It's, it's not, you know, there's so much and, and so many particular specific things, <laughs> timing, time of day, foods you can eat and can't eat, mm-hmm. uh, how many times a day you pray, mm-hmm. uh, where you pray, all of that, all of the, all of that, who you can marry, who you, you know, all of those things are so limiting. Yes. What's left? Like, <laughs> like when you come out of, of a, of a certain mindset, what is, what is left? So now right. it's not so surprising that we're always challenging ourselves to, to free ourselves from the limitations. Right. You know, because a lot of upbringing comes with limitations. So, so tell me this, what, what is a, a, an actionable step that, you know, when you, when you, when you meet with people, I'm sure their stories are all different. Yeah, they are. What is a step that a listener to the podcast can take just to get on the road to, to, uh, to a positive mindset? What, what we have to realize is, um, matter what type, what, what your religious affiliation is, there's only one power and only one mind. And that power is within. So it doesn't matter what you call that power. It doesn't matter if you call it God, Buddha, Allah, source, universe, whatever. That power is within and that power is limitless. Yeah. And Think all things are possible through that power, and that power is within you. And so the thing that you have to do is stop looking outside of yourself to something external. Yeah. And go within and realize that there is a limitless amount of power within yourself. Now you now in your work, you're engaged in a lot of meditation, right? In, in some meditation, um, I like to, meditation for me, um, and it just depends on the person because, I, you know, it, everything is bio-individual. There's no one size fits all. And so meditation for one person could be something different than for another, because I'll tell you that for me personally, my greatest times of meditation, and you probably wouldn't expect this from someone who's a level one meditation teacher my greatest times of meditation are um, when I'm sitting in the car in my garage and when I'm sitting on my back deck connecting with nature, not when I'm sitting in a lotus position, you know, attempting to empty my mind. And I think right. people think about meditation, they think about all the different forms of traditional meditation, like transcendental and you know, the tapping and all these, and I'm not knocking these things because I've tried them. I've tried different forms of meditation and it just depends on where you're at mentally at the time. Different things work for different people, guided meditations. But for me personally, like I mentioned, the greatest times for me is when I'm not 
you know, thinking of meditation, like being in a specific position or, you know, having specific music in the background or any of that, just sitting in my car for 15 to 30 minutes in the garage is, can be like very meditative for me. And I'm getting like all these, I call them divine downloads. That's when I'm getting like ideas for my business, ideas for content, um, when I'm ideas for reels that I'm recording for TikTok. It's those times where I'm in that garage or I'm out connecting with nature that are the most meditative um, times for me. Yeah, you know, I've been meditating for less than a year, so I'm still very new to it. The hardest thing for me is uncrossing my legs. Like my most comfortable position is like to sit back and and cross and sit like that. And if I want to meditate, go. I would cross my legs and I would just sit back like this. Yes. But to have to put my palms on my legs and put my legs flat down on the ground takes me out of the moment. Right. And when I'm doing guided meditation, I wonder, am I messing it up because I'm crossing my legs? I know when I get my blood pressure checked, they ask me to uncross my legs. So my blood flows a little bit more uh, right. openly. But, you know, does it really matter? Can I meditate it, with my legs crossed? If right. That's what and I want. and, and like, the thing is, is that it, it doesn't matter. And I think a lot of people are or where you're at with that, like, they're so busy thinking about, am I doing this right? Am I breathing right? Are my legs just right? Do I have my hands held right? And so you're taking yourself out of the moment by overthinking it. And so that's yes. just plop down on your bed. I have great meditative moments just sitting on my bed. Um, like you said, just sitting in a chair, like, you know, just zoning out. Nature is just like a really big one. Like if you could just with nature more, like take a walk or, you know, um, just out by listening to the sounds of the ocean. These are yeah. just really kind of just take you there informally and, you know, without you even noticing, like you're not even thinking about the fact that you're meditating, but you're doing it naturally. And so, you know, again, it just depends on the person. Now, let tell me, Tell it, tell it, or I don't want to forget about this. Tell our audience a little bit about the 30 day mental shift and the what, what day, this program yeah. is. This, this, this is the program um, that I created um, based on me being able to shift my own mindset and, and coming from a place of a person who was a chronic overthinker. This is where we learn how to tap into that unlimiting into that uh, limitless power that lies within us. I don't want to give away too much detail, but this is where we go deep to um, shift our minds from wherever we're at. You know, we're not all chronic um, overthinkers. Like some of us are, right. know, have like, you know, problems with fear or, you know, uh, problems with, um, you know, centered around money, like believing that, you know, money is evil to have. So whatever it is that your limiting belief is, this is where we go deep to shift you from wherever you're at to wherever you desire to be and to, to tap into that. Um, and it's not really a secret, but for lack of a better word, um, tap into that secret power and learn how to use that to your advantage. 
to turn your, your, your mind around and to turn your life around. Because in order to turn your, your life around, really what you have to do is turn your mind around. Because everything, for everything, no matter what it is, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's weight loss, financial problems, relate, relationship problems, whatever it is, everything comes back to mindset. Yeah. That is absolutely the foundation. There's nothing that you can can name where the foundation of it is not mindset. Like even being an entrepreneur, like you have to have the right mindset. Do you think that, that um, I mean, we hear the, of people fearing success. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a real thing. It is. Because a lot of times I've looked back on things that I've, wanted to accomplish and either done them or not and felt like the only thing that really, really stopped me was what if I, what if I do it? Like, what if, what if it works? Um, what's your take on that? <laughs> it's so funny because I did a series on YouTube about ways to self-sabotage. It was a 16 part series. And in one of those parts, I think it may have either been part six or seven, I talk about fear. And when you look at that, you're probably, you know, you're going to think I'm talking about fear of failure, but that's not what I'm talking about at all. I am talking in that video. I'm talking about the fear of being great. A lot of times we don't fit. And that's a really big thing where people say, well, you know, you have the fear fear of failure. When you really sit and examine it, I'm not saying that some people don't have the fear of failure because some people do, but the majority of us, fear being great. We fear being seen. We fear being, you know, at the top of the mountain because we don't know what people are going to think about us. Like, oh, you know, um, now that, you know, he, you know, now that he's elevated so high or he's made so much money, you know, he acts different. And, you know, we fear other people's opinions of us or we fear, Sometimes we fear people latching onto us and using us, like attaching themselves to us for the wrong reason. Like we have all these fears centered around what if I were on the level of like an Oprah Winfrey or, you know, a Warren Buffett or a Jay-Z or whoever, you know, what if what if I reach that level? Because you have the potential not only to reach that level, but to be greater. You can be greater than than Elon Musk. Yeah. And you, yeah. prob- and you probably would be if you just step out of fear, but we all have those little thoughts in our minds about, well, what's going to be expected of me when I get to that level? You know, because look at, look at the talk about Elon Musk when he spent $44 billion on Twitter. The first thing that people started to do was attack his um, philanthropy efforts. Uh-huh. He could have taken that money and given it to the poor when really you don't know what he's doing. Yeah. And it seems because not everybody announces <laughs> what they, yeah. you know, so you really don't know what he's doing behind the scenes. But he was immediately attacked for that. And I'm not defending him, you know, my feeling uh, regarding, you know, him buying Twitter and what he spent for is completely neutral. Right. Are the attacks. And so a lot of times we feel the same way. Like, 
Am I suddenly going to be responsible for saving the world? And, you know, what are people going to think of me if I don't, you know, announce every little step? Because you think about somebody like um, Prince, for example, you found out a lot of the things that he did after he passed away. Right, right. Michael Jackson, all of the hospitals that he was funding, you found Mm -hmm. out after he passed away. So people aren't always announcing what they're doing. In fact, I think it's kind of, um, I think it's tacky <laughs> when you well, announce everything that you do. Yeah, that's that's the thing. And 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 as you were talking about that, I was thinking, ah, judge fear of judgment. I wonder yeah. where we get that from. Exactly. <laughs> and by the and by the way, I I also consider myself a very spiritual person and a, and a person of faith. Yes. So it's it's not. Like I have, I have people I know who will blame God for all, all of this, right? Oh, God did this or God did that. Or they'll yep. blame their parents. My parents raised me yep. this or that. Yep. It's not, it's not that. The flaw is, and I think this is kind of the theme of what we're talking about today, is really in here. It's, yep. it's in here that we're making the wrong inference about, yep. about God or religion or what, what's expected. So that happens too when it comes to greatness. Yep. You know, I was I I was just going to say I was raised to be, but that, that would be the but I was I I have always uh let's say I've always respected modesty. Like I've found modesty yes. is a good thing. And when people tell you good things about yourself, sometimes there's an instinct to say, "Oh, no, no, really it's nothing. It's nothing." Or "Thank you. Thank you. That's very kind." But you then <laughs> run the risk of believing that you're no big thing. Or that, you know, you don't believe the praise and then you're left feeling unpraiseworthy, you know. So, yes, that's not great to to dismiss everything in the name of modesty. Right. We we get to the point that we can't even say thank you when someone gives us a compliment because, you know, we don't want to seem arrogant. Right. So it's just, no, somebody tells you you're beautiful. Oh, no, get out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Well, and you do become a target. See, the thing is, we have to be willing to put our, the reason, I I feel the same as you. I look at, look at all the, all the people who accomplish these amazing things. Mm -hmm. And I think, well, they just didn't care what people thought. Now they did care that they lived up to the standards that they set for themselves. Right. And that may involve taking care of a lot of people and doing a lot of good things. And that right. is response. That is pressure. There's no, none, we're not saying you can't put pressure on yourself. We're right. just saying the external pressure is ultimately limiting. It stifles us. It does. You know, um, it contributes to our, our, our limiting beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. And we and we have to we have to control it somehow, right? Um, and and that's and that's part of what I help people do, you know, in that program. I help you to learn how to control, you know, that because there has to be a balance, you know. On the on the one hand, like you don't want to be, you know, overly modest, but you also don't want to be arrogant. So, you know, you got to find that balance. Now, what about uh, how often do you come up against people, you know, your clients saying to you, um, well, 
so and so is going to be unhappy with me, or the oh or if it's a brand you work with corporations, if they're if they say uh, well the customers are going to be unhappy with us, or my my <laughs> wife or my my parent will be unhappy with me. What 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 do you yes. experience there? Oh yeah, I, I'm I'm actually um, I'm actually up against that uh, right now um, with a specific client. There's all the you know the the what if questions you know, but if this happens, you know, what about this or, or, or what about that? Or, you know, what are people, you know, going to think about me and, and see, that's the thing that, that is the thing. Those are the limiting beliefs, you know, that are causing us to think like that. And that, that's the reason why we won't allow ourselves to be great because we keep worrying about what everybody else thinks when really we should only be worrying about what we think. You know what I mean? Yeah. What you think about yourself. The longer you allow yourself to worry about how somebody else is going to perceive you, the longer you're going to be stagnated. And the most important thing, though, is your own self-concept. Like, what do you really think about yourself? Not what you want people to believe you think about yourself, because sometimes confidence is fake. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like you're, yeah. you're, you're putting, you know, you're putting on a show, but deep down inside, you feel like a failure or a phony. You're psyching yourself up for yep. the performance. Yes. You know, like I was starting out when when we were start was starting our conversation, and I, as a comedian. Sometimes uh, facing our fears is cathartic. We go up on stage and we talk about embarrassing stuff and we make fun of ourselves and, we're, and we put it out there and that's supposed to help us get through it. And what I find is sometimes that's just performative. Sometimes I'm going up there and I'm confronting my fears on stage, but as soon as I get off stage, I still have the same fear. It, right. was, just a, it was really just to get the confidence and courage to go up there yeah it was just it was just an act it was and, an act and people are doing that it's like you have to think about life the same way life is a stage and social media is a stage so a lot of times when people get on the stage on facebook or linkedin or whatever platform they're on then you know they're they're putting on a show but deep yeah. on inside they're hurting or they're depressed. Um, like I said, they're feeling like a failure or a phony. Um, you know, you have people, it, you look at people like, um, you know, all the, all the different celebrities that have, you know, committed suicide. And when you look at them, you had no idea that they were miserable on the inside. Yeah, yeah. They were smiling on the outside. So more important, that's why I say more important than what other people think of you is what you think of you. Because yeah. if you don't think, you know, highly of yourself. And if you don't think highly of yourself, oftentimes other people won't think highly of you. Because um, I don't know if you've ever heard the concept of everyone is, you know, is, is, a, is a reflection of you. So the way that you see yourself is generally how other people are going to perceive you. Like it's oh, going yes. Reflect, it's going to reflect back to you. Yeah. So if I don't think very highly of myself, 
you know, if I, if I, if I think that I'm, um, you know, not worthy, then I'm going to keep attracting people to me that use and abuse me. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, if I think very highly of myself and I'm very confident and true confidence, not fake confidence, then I'll attract people to me that treat me likewise. So your self-concept causes the re- your the reality around you. It's, it's what's creating your reality and that reality is reflecting back to you. Now, what about the, the, um, the value of vulnerability? Letting people know that, that you know what, I, yeah. I, can, I can, you know, if I let them see this powerful me and this, this great me, will I still be a little bit afraid to let them know I'm human, that yeah. I question myself, that I doubt myself, that I am, you know, that I may get down or depressed, you know, can I, can I be vulnerable still? I think you can. And and I think it's important um, to be vulnerable and to be um, transparent, you know, time and time and place, you know know what I mean? To, To all things there, there, there are a season. I don't think necessarily that you have to, um, air out all, all of your dirty laundry. Right. I'm, I'm very much against that. I think that there is a time and a place for all things. There's a time to, to be transparent. And then there is a time to keep things like undercover. And I think because I move very intuitively, I think intuitively you will know when it's time to share your story or your vulnerability vulnerabilities because you have a lot of people out there that say you know just share 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 but you know everything is not meant to be shared you know like right away yeah um like when it comes to being transparent and sharing stories i just feel like intuitively i will know the timing for that and i think you just have to know the timing you know yeah you know if you share too much you know, too soon, you know, it, 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 it could work against you. Like it could have yeah. an adverse um, effect. So, well, well, what you're saying is the more in touch you are with yourself and the more you, if you've got the right mindset, your yeah. judgment will be better. Yeah. So if, if you've got the right mindset and you experience this, you know, connection with someone where you, you could be in business or in life or in person, personal or business, but you experience a, a connection with an individual and you're like, okay, I, okay, I'm very centered. I'm very, I feel very confident about my mindset and where I'm going and what I'm doing. I feel comfortable sharing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to share this, this little thing, yeah. but it won't come from a place of desperation or neediness right. or weakness or, right. uh, or insecurity. It'll come from a k- kind of centered place. And, and it also won't come from a place of manipulation because I think, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people too have kind of begun to use stories as a strategy. Right. You know, to gain clients. And so we, yeah. you don't want to be vulnerable in a way that you're being manipulative either. Yeah. Playing on people's emotions because... What I have found, um, and this is a very sad truth, is that a lot of stories um, end up being scripted. Mm -hmm. 
you got you have a lot of scripted stories out there. So you know, a lot of what I what I've done professionally is write the the narratives for brands and write the narratives for people. And what I find that has always made it special for me is that it's always uh, about the truth in the in that person's narrative or that brand's narrative. Yeah. It's not about feeding them something to say that sounds good or makes them look better than they are. Right. It's about realizing their potential to communicate their story. Yeah. Not everyone's a, a natural storyteller of even their own story. Right. But it's always based on reality. It's not, oh, say you're like, I'm a spin doctor. Like, say you this or call it that. Right. You know? If we're smart enough to to know that they're they're BSing, then then the other people are too. Right. You know, we don't have some unique intelligence that supersedes the the consumer, you know. Right, right. So. Well, I will say this, Debbie, you are very, very easy to engage with. And it's very uh I really have enjoyed this. This has really been fun. Um yes. And uh, and I'm sure there's more that we could uh, chat about, but I want to be respectful of your time. Um, and uh, uh, but I but I am interested to follow you even more closely now and um, and learn more about your programs, because I think you're on to something special in this moment in time. Uh, this is a moment where we have to control our mindset. Yeah. You know, we can't rely on the world to do it for us, you know? Right. So thank you so much for, for coming thank on. You. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning into Truth Tastes Funny. If you enjoyed the experience, please leave a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends.